Welcome to the Nutrition-ish Podcast, the place for all things nutrition and mindfulness. We are passionate about guiding you to make peace with food and empower your body and brain. I'm one of your hosts, Allie Hobson. I'm an NTP, Nutritional Therapy Practitioner in San Diego. I work with individuals to assess personal nutritional deficiencies and imbalances by addressing the root cause of any health issue. In my private practice, I focus on women's hormones, gut health, and thyroid dysfunction. Let's meet my co-host. I'm Chelsea Gross, a certified transformational nutrition coach based in Los Angeles. I work one-on-one with women who are ready to break free from dieting, make peace with food, and create a life they love filled with energy, self-love, and freedom from rules and obsession. I'm also the creator of the ebook, Break Free from Disordered Eating. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is intended to be informative and entertaining and should not replace medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. We are so excited you're here. Let's get to the episode. You're listening to episode 79 of the Nutrition-ish podcast. Oh, hello. Hi. <laughs> Good afternoon. It is. We, we almost never record in the afternoons. So it's kind of different. I know. Our episodes have been, Chelsea has been graciously accommodating my nap schedule, not my nap schedule, I wish I had a nap (laughs) schedule. Your nap schedule. (laughs) (laughs) My son's nap schedule, which would be fantastic if I napped when he napped, but you know. If you weren't working like multiple jobs, (laughs) maybe that would be an option, but I don't think so. Well, and he's nine months now, like today, he's nine months today. How crazy is that? Yeah. So I feel like by now, eh. In the beginning, that's what you should do. Definitely sleep when baby sleeps, but now it's kind of like, this is the time you have to do to, like, get stuff done. Yes. How long does he nap for? Uh, hit or miss. It's, like, could be 30 minutes, which would be not a great nap, or sometimes he'll nap for, like, an hour and a half, two hours. So it just kind of depends. Yeah. And are you planning on doing something big for his first I think we will do a birthday. I have no idea what we're going to do, but we've talked about doing something fun. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Will you do the, I think it's called, like, what is it called? Like a smash cake? Yeah, actually, one of my other NTP mom friends did a smash cake recipe. I'm trying to remember who it was by. I want to say it was maybe even Graced and Enthused. Um, and it was like maybe even AIP, the one that she did, but I don't know. There's, there's some good recipes. Maybe I'll do that. I, I mean, at least literally for good photos. It's just a regular cake. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, if I'm going to want him to eat it, right. I'm going to be that mom, the me yeah, mom of course. to make it healthy. <laughs> oh, I mean, I went to all ends of the earth to have a gluten-free vegan cake for my wedding. Exactly. So exactly. I understand. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's a good idea. I should look that up. Yeah. My my sister did that with her niece, with my niece, her niece, her daughter, my niece, and it was real cute. Yeah, I feel like She had a photos. whole outfit, though, for the for that and then had to change, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Anytime I feed him, it's, like, just a massacre of smash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really, like, I mean, you have to just go in being like, okay, this is going to be messy every time, and usually I have to give him a bath after, but it's really cute just to, like, let him play around. <laughs> it just takes a lot of letting go, especially if you're, like, a clean type of, I mean, not, 
I don't want to say if you're like a clean type of person, everyone hopefully is somewhat of a clean person, but like if you're more type A and like messes like really get to you, like that's a struggle. I'm not really that person, but yeah. I don't know. I spill on myself almost every time I eat. So (laughs) who am I to say? We should all just wear silicone bibs. (laughs) Sometimes I go through a few different shirts a day because I spill breakfast, lunch, dinner on them. Always, always. But it's because I sit on the couch and put my plate on a pillow as my table instead of eating at a table. So I have no barrier and that's why it happens. So it's okay. (laughs) What has been your favorite thing to cook lately? Mm. I've actually been getting back into cooking because I sort of got burnt out on it. Like it wasn't, it's always something I've loved to do and I felt super passionate about. I love watching cooking cooking shows and I just loved spending hours in the kitchen. And then for a few months or a large part of this year, I was just like, I don't want to do it. And it, it kind of, it sucked. It made me kind of sad. So I'm glad now I'm kind of excited to be back in the kitchen. Um, I mean, this is like not exciting and maybe I've talked about it here already, but Scott and I do a lot of pesto with either the cauliflower gnocchi from Trader Joe's or we really like the black bean pasta from Trader Joe's, which is just black bean. And then we steam broccoli and asparagus, which sounds like, ew, why would you steam it? But it actually tastes really good if you mix it all in with the pesto. And then we really like the Rayo's sauce they make a sensitive marinara which doesn't have onion and garlic and all that stuff which is really cool and honestly i think it's the best flavor of all of them anyway and it's just a meal that seems to fill scott and please scott and like we don't always have to cook separate things because that's what we were doing for a while um and it's just easy go to we can make a big batch pesto last like two to three days so that's what we eat a lot of days of the week or we do a big taco salad with butter lettuce, caramelized onions, the Siete Foods sprouted bean dip, or the cashew dip, mm-hmm. and then guacamole, which is just like me mashing up an avocado, and um, and then crumbling <laughs> Siete Foods chips on top. Yeah. And that's like real good too. I was going to say my go-to lately is I've discovered the Siete taco shells. Okay. Yes. Which are like those ones. kind of newer, but maybe not. I don't know. I think they've been around. I just, they were, like, new to me. Yeah. And I love tacos. I just, like, never eat them because, I don't know, they're not healthy, really. Yeah. (laughs) And so now that these, I think, what are they? They're the same as the chips, basically. They're, like, cassava and coconut flour. Yeah. I don't know. They're good. So we've been doing a lot of taco nights Mm -hmm. as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have Takoya? The Takaya? restaurant? Oh, I say to- Takaya. Okay, Sorry. we say like everything Takaya different. Takaya or Takoya? I don't know. But I also say Rao's sauce, not Rao's. <laughs> You're probably so, right, honestly. I'm no, not, I don't know. I'm not prideful of my. I say Rao's and then I also say Tokaya. But yes, we do have that. Okay. It's so good. They have they have that gluten-free mm-hmm. burrito. But if anyone has it and everyone who doesn't have their, this restaurant might be checking out right now, but they're all like organic and they have a lot of gluten-free and grain-free and dairy-free options, but they have a burrito that they used to call the guiltless gluten-free burrito. And I went the other day and it was just called the guilt-free burrito. And I was like, did you guys change that? And actually they did. (laughs) So now, unless you specify you want it on the gluten-free wrap, which is the Siete Foods wrap, it will come on a flour tortilla. So tip. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Because that's what I get. It's so delicious. 
Mm-hmm. Someone, last time I was eating that, I, like, posted it on my stories, and someone messaged me, and they were like, this is disgusting. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, I tried it, and I don't like it. And I was like, oh, what? I'm so sorry. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's actually my favorite thing kind of ever right now, and it, it makes me so satiated, like, physically and emotionally. I can't There's just, like, nothing better than a, like, freaking good burrito. You know? Yeah, and I mean, I haven't had, a, like, a good burrito probably in, like, 10 years or something till this. Yeah. Like, I just don't make burritos at home. It's not, like, something I do. In so. high school, we lived off of California burritos, like, hungover California burritos, like, on the reg. <laughs> that was yeah. the last time I had one back in high school. Okay. All right. Tangent. Let's get, let's get to Speaking it. Speaking about food and labels. <laughs> yes. Am I reading the first question or are you? Well, there's not really a question. So this is on the heels oh, right. of a multi- question question (laughs) we had two weeks ago from Eliza she was the dance major and yoga instructor who had a bunch of different questions about probiotics weight fluctuations eating healthy on the go and we answered all of those but one of her other questions was asking us our thoughts on the vegan diet and she said it's very popular and I am thinking about it but not sure how I feel about it so we thought we'd make that into today's entire episode and also touch on the Game Changers documentary, which is quite a big deal right now. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, Allie's going to sort of explain a little bit and then dig into the whole topic today. Yes. So a lot of people started asking me if I'd seen this documentary called Game Changers, and I had no idea what they were talking about. So after like three or four people, and then a good friend of mine did, I was like, all right, I'm going to watch this. Because I really don't usually watch any of the kind of like trending health documentaries just because I don't know they're so controversial and sometimes it makes me like physically angry inside and I get like really worked up and like have to talk about it and I just don't like to do that (laughs) so I kind of don't really watch them but um my husband was really interested in watching this one too because it's based around and that's one of the kind of things that I have about it that I don't love is it's all based around athletes and it's athletes performance based on becoming plant-based So, let's see, how do I, where do I even start? I will start with this. It is produced by um, James Cameron, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is involved in the film. So, I think that's a really important thing to remember, is, like, who's producing the film, because, obviously, they're going to have maybe an agenda or something that they want to come across. Like, isn't it What the Health, um, like, Joaquin Phoenix was behind that film? Yeah, so... These are people you have to, like, you know, think about what is this person trying to say or who is this person? What are their credentials? Like, is Joaquin Phoenix any type of health, uh, I don't know, professional? Not that I know of. I don't know if he's taken any courses or whatnot, but, like, that's not who I think of with, like, asking advice. Would I ask him advice on how to be an actor? Sure. You know, like, or how to grow a beard? Sure. Like, those would be <laughs> things that I'm looking, asking Joaquin Phoenix for. Not about health or wellness. So that's kind of just interesting in itself. And um, one thing that, so Rob Wolf feels very passionate about this. I don't know if you guys follow Rob Wolf, but he's great. Um, he's written a lot of books. Um, he does have a podcast. And he pointed out that James Cameron actually is behind a pea protein company, and he just um, 
put in like $140 million into this pea protein company, which is obviously plant-based, which is obviously another agenda kind of behind it all. Like money always comes into these films and documentaries. Like it just has to, even politically sometimes. Like money is behind a lot of things. So with that, I feel like that's important to know before even going into watching the film. Um, And then basically what the film is about is showing athletes' performance uh, based on going plant-based. And they do talk about, you know, like how do they perform before? How do they perform after switching to a plant-based diet? They do talk about some scientific stats and whatnot. Um, But I have actually on my Instagram, if you go to my highlights, there's one called Nutrition. And I talked about my thoughts on this film and I saved them to those highlights. So I was going to read a few things that I posted and then you guys can always look back there for resources too. But, um, here's something I want to read. So switching from the standard American diet or the sad American diet, um, is obviously going to improve people's health. So really like, that's it. That's all you have to know. (laughs) If you switch from a standard American diet where people are eating a lot of processed foods, junk foods, um, sugar, high contents of like fast food. If you switch to any type of diet, especially one that's maybe focused on like eating a lot of vegetables, then obviously you're going to see an improvement in health. So that includes vegan, vegetarian, that includes keto, Mediterranean, like anything. But this observation tells you nothing about how healthy a plant-based diet is compared to a meat-based diet. So this also means when you compare people to the general U.S. population, avoiding meat is but one of the myriad of differences between them. So they're not talking about like, okay, plant-based is significantly better and meat-based is going to actually like deteriorate your health, all of that. All they're saying and pointing out is how healthy these people are becoming based on a plant-based diet. And that is key to me because like I said, anybody switching to a better diet is going to see improvements. So one of the guys that they talk about is a football player and his name is Bryant Jennings. Uh, Actually, sorry, he's a heavyweight boxer. Um, He stopped eating meat in 2013 and he went vegan in 2015. He talks about like his conversion over to plant-based. He says, I grew up not even knowing about half of these other vegetables. Asparagus to me just came out like five years ago. Like that is a quote from him. (laughs) So if he's eating and then he talks about, actually let me just finish what he's saying I guess. He says, my early years growing up in Philly, the only thing we knew was spinach in a can, collard greens, Popeyes, and KFC. Everybody's frying chicken, but most people are asking where you're getting your protein. And if you say something like KFC, then are you really thinking about like how much protein is in here? He's like, you don't know what you're eating. You don't know what's in there. He's like, I never thought about what I was eating. I just thought I was eating protein and chicken. So his point is saying like he didn't know about vegetables basically, even before switching to plant-based. So obviously if he's switching to plant-based, taking the meat out of it, you can totally do that, but obviously he's still going to see like health results from that because he was eating a standard American diet. Um, the other thing, let's see, what did I have here too? I'm just kind of looking at some of my notes, but the, the science that they talk about is not quality sourcing. They throw out a few different things. They throw out some buzzwords like TMAO and they talk about heart disease and, you know, just buzzwords, but they never actually back it by anything. And there's too many holes in the research, from my opinion, in the documentary to make it actually like a good argument. 
Um, and then the other thing that I think is important to consider is these are professionals. Like these are athletes. Okay. These are people who are competing in the Olympics. These are like heavyweight bodybuilders. They probably have somebody who is consciously thinking about putting together a meal for them. They're probably paying someone to do that. They are also burning a lot of calories very quickly. So if you are on a plant-based diet and perhaps you're eating more carbohydrates, they're also burning it 10 times faster than the standard American person who's probably going to sit at their desk for the rest of the day. So I'm not saying that carbohydrates are bad to consume at all. I think obviously we all need a good amount of carbohydrates, but the way in which an athlete performs and the things that they're measuring, measuring on like a health, like foundation, like if they're measuring, for example, like their blood sugar or anything like that, their results are going to be very different from anybody else's. So that's another thing, like we're comparing average American people to athletes who have like a program, like they're talking about, um, they interview like a coach or like a football coach and they're like, yeah, our whole program is based around plant-based. We have like a higher dietitian that, co- you know, completes all of the meals and makes sure we're, you know, getting all the nutrients they need. Like that is probably you know, a great way to go about it. You have someone like thoughtfully putting together your meals, but everybody else on the other side, when they're going to plant-based, there's a lot of different ways that you can get into trouble and have a lot of nutrient deficiencies, in my opinion, if you're not doing plant-based thoughtfully. Like it takes a lot to kind of like do plant-based healthfully. And so these people are not really a good, um, I guess, group of people as a control group to really compare. But anybody who watches the film comes away with thinking, okay, all these athletes took out meat out of their diet and now they're performing better and they're so healthy and they feel great. Look at all these results. Like that's kind of what the film sounded like to me. And I just didn't really love the way that it was portrayed. Now I don't have anything against plant-based at all. I think plant-based can be fine. Um, Do you have to like thoughtfully put together your meals? For sure. Do you have to supplement in some circumstances like B12 and make sure you're getting enough iron and make sure you're getting enough protein? Yes. Um, Do I think that Americans probably eat way too much meat? Yeah. And I also think that the problem with most of the meat claims that people are, you know, stating and saying statistics on are based on poor quality meat consumption and the type of meat that is found in fast food, not things that are pasture raised, not things that are grass fed, all of that. So I don't think it's a great documentary. I think it's certainly interesting. And again, I'm not against plant-based, but I think there's a lot of holes in it. And I feel like people are kind of being bamboozled, if you will. (laughs) If you're not really knowledgeable in this area, you would watch it and be like, oh, that makes sense. I'm just going to become plant-based, which a lot of people I know did, like not in necessarily the nutrition world, but a lot of friends of mine who you know, just are interested in being healthier, but they don't really have like the knowledge base that maybe some other people do to make that judgment. So those are my thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. Those, yeah. Such good, I think such good takeaways and a different way of looking at it. And I especially think it's important, a few of the things you noted, one being that those athletes are getting their meals prepared by a private chef and also having a dietitian take into consideration the nutrients and vitamins and minerals, macronutrients that they're getting from those meals, because you're right. It does take a lot to be, I think, a healthy vegan. And I think a lot of people do do it wrong. I myself have been vegan two two different times in my life. Um, And I think it's easy to be 
what I would call like a junk food vegan, unless you are super intentional, especially some of the things that you suggested. One, I think being omega-3s, because a lot of people will just say, oh, you can get them from flax seeds or chia seeds. That's a different type of omega-3s, omega-3 fatty acids um, that you get from something that's plant-based versus something that's animal-based like or fish-based, like a um, wild fish or something like that. It's more difficult for your body to... Um, convert the usable form of omega-3s from plant food sources. So in that case, like in my experience, the times where I have eaten plant-based, I'm intentional about getting in something like spirulina or seaweed, like something that's actually going to have the proper form of omega-3s that's more usable by my body. Um, And that's just not something that I can see the average person introducing into their diet on a regular basis. Um, And I think a lot of foods are vegan. A lot of foods are plant-based, but just because they fall under that label doesn't necessarily mean that they're healthy. And unfortunately, unless you dig a little bit deeper and like take into consideration a lot of the things that Allie just mentioned and looking at it that way, you can misconstrue from watching a documentary and seeing the blanket term that, um, you know, going vegan is healthy, going vegan is optimal. And then when you go to the grocery store and you see that a product is vegan, you ultimately interpret that as it being healthy, as it being nutrient dense. And honestly, anything that's packaged and vegan nine times out of 10, I feel like is not only not healthy, it's unhealthy. A lot of um, processed vegan foods or packaged vegan foods, plant-based foods, contain really, really cheap ingredients, specifically things like vegetable oils, like canola and soybean, which actually Diane Sanfilippo just posted a really good um, Instagram picture, what do you call it? Post, a post (laughs) to her feed about um, one of the brands and not even the popular brands of uh, veggie burgers right now. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, it was like, it was like an off brand even, but it was like, it had canola and it had just all these other sort of additives and preservatives, just cheap, junky ingredients. And we have to, you know, whether it's even gluten-free, which I know Allie and I just mentioned, you know, several things with cake and this burrito from (laughs) Takaya. <laughs> um, you know, yes, we eat we eat gluten-free. We choose things based on labels sometimes, but you still have to be your own advocate and you have to turn a label around and read the ingredients. Whether you're vegan, whether you're keto, whether you're gluten-free, whether you're paleo, just because it has those labels on it doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy. So again, just to go back to my point about it becoming very easy to be a junk food vegan, at the end of the day, you have to be really diligent about eating real food. If you're going to be plant-based, you need to be a a whole food (laughs) plant-based eater. And also, I think, you know, getting maybe routine blood work done prior to beginning being plant-based and then, you know, maybe a couple months in or a, a year down the road and just checking in and seeing where you're at because, yeah, you may need to supplement or you may be super deficient in certain things like B vitamins or vitamin D that are really difficult to get from plant-based foods. And maybe that then isn't the right lifestyle for you. So I think at the end of the day, everyone just needs to be their own advocate. And no matter what style or what label you're eating, just eat real food. Like we don't realize how much all these diets actually have in common. And I think it's just we're so we're so obsessed with putting ourselves under a label and falling under something that's black and white that we forget like at the end of the day it's about real food it's about nutrients it's about vitamins or minerals it's about how you feel and that you can feel good eating you know 
not eating under a label. And honestly, I think if you have more flexibility and more freedom, you're going to be able to stick to something that's more nutrient-dense instead of going totally black and white where you're going from eating the standard American diet to eating a vegan diet, and then all of a sudden you feel restricted or you feel frustrated because it is more difficult to sort of make that transition and then you give up and then you just go back to what you were doing instead of sort of just pulling bits and pieces from all of these diets. Sure, if you want to eat more plants, then eat more plants. Like, why do you have to go Mm (laughs) plant-based? You know, you can still focus on more vegetables. You can still focus on what you're adding in. And we also have to be careful not to group in uh, just so many of the, um, so much of the research or the statistics that are, are marketed to us about the dangers of meat come from, like Ali was saying, like, uh, you know, just poor quality conventional meat. So we want to focus on, like, a lot of the documentaries, not this one specifically, but other vegan documentaries I've seen focus a lot on fear-mongering and showing us, you know, the imagery of these horrible things, which are CAFOs, which are concentrated animal feeding operations, which I would never support. No one should ever support. It's They live under horrible conditions. They're being pumped with hormones and antibiotics. They're being fed their unnatural diet, which is like grains and soy and corn, um, and, and that's what we're thinking when we think about consuming meat instead of consuming meat that is grass-fed, um, you know, or, you know, pasture-raised, organic. Like, we just can't group the two together. And a lot of the times we see these articles maybe pulling from sort of some sort of control group of people that eat meat. And we don't realize that those people are probably also getting their meat from somewhere like Burger King or McDonald's. They're eating it between two pieces of bun, uh, you know, two pieces of bread between buns. They're also eating fries on the side that are deep fried in hydrogenated oils, inflammatory oils. They're drinking maybe a soda, you know, a sugar-filled soda on the side. They live a sedentary lifestyle. They smoke. They drink. They don't get good sleep. Like, we don't forget all these. We have to not forget all these other factors that could contribute to that study leaning the way that it leaned and then that we're marketed to. Yeah, um, exactly. So So that was like a brain dump of all my thoughts as well. <laughs> it's kind of like when I think about keto, people ask, well, should I go keto? Is it beneficial to go keto? And I don't know the answer necessarily for you personally, but you can still be higher fat or feel better on a higher fat diet without being keto. Just like you can still eat fairly plant-based, but still eat a little bit of meat. You know, like just to, what Chelsea said, like there's no point in having to put yourself into this category. Just... I feel like to say it, <laughs> like say it to say it. Um, I've been vegan once before actually as well, but mm-hmm. it was for very, it was like two weeks because it just did not work for me, but it was in college. And the only reason why I did it was to lose weight. And I ate like packaged soy cheese and really disgusting <laughs> things. And I was like, why do people do this? <laughs> so yeah. Then I just started eating better food. <laughs> yeah. The first time that I went vegan actually was when I first went back to school for nutrition and one of the first books that I read was The China Study, mm-hmm, <laughs> which mm-hmm. um, has been debunked. And actually, Diane Sanfilippo also, I think, just linked to it on her stories. I'll see if I could find – there's um, someone that went through it claim by claim and debunked pretty much every research or every study that they, they linked to in that book. And then I also read a book – read Kimberly Snyder's books, which I still love. And actually, I think she's a really good example of someone that does do plant-based right. And exactly for the reasons that we're saying, she's super intentional about including every last vitamin or min- vitamin and mineral you need to thrive on a plant-based diet. But again, it's like not a practical way 
I don't think, to live <laughs> for most people who are busy. And um, yeah, but anyways, when I first did it, it was when I was at the very beginning stages of breaking free from disordered eating. And I thought, well, I'll just do this because, yeah, then I'll lose weight and I won't have to worry anymore and I'll just eat vegan and that'll solve all my problems. <laughs> and it didn't. <laughs> um, it didn't at all. So I think a lot of people, too, also go plant-based or go vegan. The same thing with keto. They do it simply for weight loss. And, again, it's confusing because it's, like, on – it's blurring the lines between, like, health, healthy because, oh, it could be a therapeutic diet. And a lot of people will sort of make claims that that's why they're doing it. But at the end of the day, they're really just doing it for weight loss. And if that's your intention, then it's not going to be something that's going to be sustainable for you anyway in the long term because you have to have – a more substantial why, you know, and I think that the, a lot of people who do vegan really well would be the people that are, you know, very, very, um, uh, what's the word, not spiritual, ethical, the people who do it for ethical mm-hmm. reasons, yeah. who are so incredibly passionate about animal rights and animals and are animal lovers, and it doesn't mean you're not an animal lover if you eat meat, but I'm just saying there's some people, whether it's cultural or religious or spiritual or, or whatever it is, and that's just, it's so big to them that that's, that's their motivation for continuing to, like, make that style of eating work for them. Um, but even that, I mean, no matter what, like, whatever style of eating you stick to, you have to give yourself the freedom and the room to evolve out of that if it's not working for you. And what I've seen a lot, because I watch YouTube videos, are a lot of people who because there's a lot of vegan YouTubers who do, like, what I eat in a day and, like, just are very vocal about their lifestyle, their vegan and plant-based lifestyle. And then, you know, behind the scenes, it stops working for them. Maybe they've developed really serious health issues or vitamin deficiencies or are feeling restricted and just they want to break free from it. They want to maybe start having, like, some eggs again or some salmon or something, but they're so – they've created this persona around being plant-based – And they've created this community that looks to them, you know, for being plant-based, for being vegan. And then it's like you see them come out then with this video and it's just like one title. And it's like, why I stopped being vegan. And it's like this whole sit down and emotional story and how they just like can't do it anymore. And I hate, I hate that for those people that it has to be such a big deal that we, you know, I just think there was a time in my life where I thought I was going to be paleo forever. And now I eat like beans and grains and stuff whenever I want you know it's like it's okay to not eat strictly the way that you think you're going to set out to eat forever like you can evolve from it and there shouldn't be any pressure or like punishment for that yes agreed all right so we have one more question this comes from Jen she says hi there I recently discovered your podcast and listened to episode 61 I'm starting the NTC program at the NTA this fall so these tips for the business side of things were so helpful thank you currently I'm an RN 
So for those of you who don't know, NTC is a nutritional therapy consultant. NTA is the Nutritional Therapy Association, RN, registered nurse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You mentioned something about having a job at a cardiologist office for nutrition consultation services. Do you know if these kinds of services would be self-pay for the client slash patients or if there's a way for clinics to bill insurance for these services? I wasn't sure where the line was legally and professionally when I'm also a nurse but will have my NTC. My thoughts were that maybe I could be employed as a nurse but specialize in nutrition, but then I don't know the options with billing, etc. I know it can vary by state as well, but any general thoughts? This is for Allie. Yes. And so also just to go back, episode 61 is titled, I went to nutrition school, now what? Our advice and stories on starting a business. So if you're interested in that episode, you can go back to that. Um, So let's see. The best way to answer this is <laughs> I can give you my personal opinion slash experience, but again, like you said, um, or as Jen said, it does definitely vary by state, so it kind of just depends. There's different, even with the Nutritional Therapy Association and how the NTP um, certification works, that is also different by state too, so you'll have to kind of, I guess, you know, do that little back-end research just to figure out, like, how you can actually practice as an NTP and what is required. But so for my um, job that I have, so I work at a doctor's office or a holistic health clinic, and we have two doctors of osteopathy or osteopathic doctors, and we have one naturopath, and we also have a nurse practitioner, And then we also have chiropractic and we do massage therapy and a bunch of other different kind of holistic healing modalities such as ozone therapy. We're starting to do aesthetics like microneedling and a bunch of different stuff. So we're kind of a full service whole clinic. Um, And I'm also, or obviously the nutritionist there. So the way it works at my office, and again, I don't know how most offices do this. I just can tell you from what I know and how it works for me. And then also actually um, in, let's see, I guess, where is it, L.A.? Yeah, my friend um, who lives in L.A., she used to work at a cardiologist, and she was their nutritionist. And then I have a friend who works in a chiropractic office as their nutritionist. Um, So I can kind of touch on those things a little bit too. But basically the way it works in my office is the patient, so we do take insurance. That would be the first thing is does the clinic in general take insurance um, if it's just, you know, pay by a cash patient, then obviously that's going to be very different. Um, so our office does take insurance. We take most um, major insurance uh, insurances. And the way it works is you set up a appointment with a provider, which would either be one of the doctors. So you would either see the osteopathic doctor or you would see the naturopath. Only then can you come see me. So you can't just come into our clinic and say, hey, I'd like to work. I mean, you could say this, but you'd still have to go see the doctor first. You would have to, you can't just come in and say like, hi, I'd like to work with a nutritionist. You have to go see the doctor first. And the reason why is because the way that um, insurances work, you have to bill to an ICD-10 code. So you have to be, quote unquote, almost kind of like diagnosed with something or have it be a billable code to be able to work with the provider and have your insurance bill it. So for example, if someone comes in and just wants to get like a whole health workup, like you don't have to have anything wrong with you, but if you do say like a bunch of different labs and just do like a wellness visit um, and your cholesterol comes back a little bit out of whack, then you know, maybe your LDL is higher than we want it to be, your HDL needs to be a little bit higher, so that would be a diagnosis code 
um, which is an ICD-10 code that we would call hyperlipidemia. So that doctor who you saw would say, this patient has hyperlipidemia, perhaps you're experiencing fatigue, perhaps you're experiencing constipation. Actually, fatigue and constipation, those sound generic, but those are billable codes. So you would see the doctor, they would you know, diagnose you with perhaps some of these things, and then they would pass um, the patient on to me. So when I see the patient, I look in their chart and I say, okay, they've seen the doctor, it looks like they're dealing with hyperlipidemia, constipation, and fatigue. How can I, from like a nutrition standpoint, support this patient? Um, I then work with them through all these things. However, when I chart, and when you're, when I'm saying like when you chart things or you're to put like writing in the notes on the patient, that's basically for insurance purposes, but also so the doctors all, we all know what's going on with that single patient, it's in the patient's chart. Um, but that's the reason why insurance can then look at that and say, okay, it looks like, um, you know, this person is working on these three things which are actual billable. Um, but what I cannot say is, um, let's see, for example, for fatigue, I cannot write in something and say, um, advised patient to get more sleep and get more rest, advised patient that she should not stay up so late. I can't just say that. I have to say, if I'm working on fatigue, advise patient to increase healthy fats, um, advise patient to gosh, like thinking on the spot is hard, <laughs> advice patient, <laughs> to increase healthy fats, get, um, you know, more water intake, and, you know, perhaps start meditating, or I could say things like get better sleep, but I have to tie it back to the reason why, because fatigue is a very chronic disease that can lead to imbalances in the body and could cause stress, therefore heart disease or other chronic health conditions. So do you see what I mean? So for example, I'll do another one. Um, okay, if I'm dealing with amenorrhea, which is lack of period, okay, that would be a diagnosis code. And if I'm working with that person based on what the doctor is saying that they need me to work on them with, um, then I would say something like, advise patient to increase you know, quantity of meals, increase caloric intake, specifically healthy fats, um, increase perhaps protein, um, reduce workouts, because lack of hormonal cycles can lead to things like estrogen dominance or um, poor detoxification of hormones, which could then you know, lead to inflammation in the body or something like that. So you always have to tie it back to a code, which is why nutrition is kind of tricky because I am giving them nutritional advice, but I have to tie it back to like an actual billable code that either leads to, I usually kind of circle it back to either like chronic inflammation, some type of like coronary or heart disease, um, uh, hypertension would be high blood pressure, things like that. So when you know about, I guess, all the systems and the way that the organs work, it is really easy to kind of tie everything back together. So even though I'm giving her nutritional advice on how to balance her cholesterol, I'm still gonna say I'm doing this because heart disease is, you know, obviously a risk or cardiovascular disease is a risk for you if you do not do these things. Does that kind of make sense, Chelsea? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's really interesting, actually. So that's how for at least, you know, where I'm at, that's how we're able to bill insurance. But I'm also practicing under the doctor's uh, license. So the woman who runs the practice, I'm under her licensure. Licensure? Licensure. <laughs> I can't see that word. I'm under her license. So I have to send my chart to her and then she approves it and can make any tweaks. 
So I'm basically consulting for the doctor. The patient is not necessarily coming straight to me. I'm kind of just helping as a service and providing the doctors with that specialty of support, which then tying it back to all those diagnosis codes can actually be billable by insurance. So this could work very differently at any office. Obviously, this is just kind of like what we do. So I would think for what you're kind of working towards, uh, Jen, if you are a registered nurse, um, all of our nurse practitioners that see any patients always end up, or the doctors for that matter, always give nutritional advice. They just don't give as much nutritional advice as I do. They're working more on kind of like the bigger picture and maybe they're you know, recommending supplements or if there has to be any type of like um, medication, you know, they're prescribing medication, that kind of stuff. And then if they see more of a nutritional need, because um, I also do help with like meal planning and I help with um, elimination diets and any type of like gastro patients I work with doing like, you know, a SIBO protocol that kind of falls under my wing but only because it's supporting the greater good of their health, which is billable. And so as a first pass, if the nurse practitioner sees them, she could say, you know, perhaps like the diagnosis code is hives, okay? So the nurse practitioner would probably say, hey, why don't you try avoiding gluten and dairy and soy? And that could likely solve the hives, and that in turn would solve the problem of chronic inflammation, which is upregulating your immune system. Upregulated immune systems can cause other chronic health diseases such as autoimmunity. Like that would be the full circle tie back to hives. <laughs> um, so the, the nurse is actually giving them dietary advice. So I would think that as a nurse or a registered nurse, you would be able to do that and you could probably focus on nutrition. You just have to be able to kind of code it for, for insurance purposes a certain way, if that makes sense. Um, now at the chiropractic office that my friend works at, she is just an independent consultant completely. They do not take insurance at all. And so the patients just work and pay her directly. So she just happens to be in the office. They see a really good synergistic relationship of the chiropractor recommending clients to her. She refers back to them and they just kind of work side by side as a good relationship, but they're by no means and payment wise related. Um, and then for the cardiologist office, I'm not sure how that works in her case. So I don't know how to speak to that, but I definitely think, yes, you can do that to answer your question. And then it just really depends on, you know, that specific office and how it works there. Um, I was going to say kind of like how I ended up at that job, because I feel like that might be a question of how I got there, but it really was just networking. <laughs> um, I'm a big advocate in networking and I try and do a lot of different kind of like entrepreneur type of groups and happy hours and I mean not as much anymore but I used to when I was first starting my business trying to just network and get referrals and this clinic was looking for a nutritionist and word of mouth someone told me that that was you know someone they were looking for and so I just hounded them and over and over again was like hey can I come in for an interview hey can I come in for an interview and that's kind of how I ended up getting the job but that's hopefully a little bit helpful and hopefully not confusing. Um, I think it made perfect sense, and I think she'll certainly understand it because she's already in that world. Right. And I also think it is important to note, though, however, unless you are within a clinic, like you are working even, yeah, alongside a doctor, you're not able to take insurance if you are an NTC, an NTP, anything like a, what I am, which is a nutrition coach, if you're a health coach, you 
just across the board, you cannot take insurance. You, correct. Although I have had people use um, either whether it's like a health savings account or um, some jobs, like a bigger company. This one was, um, I think the company was like Experian or something, like a big, big company that does um, like, you know, what do they do? They look at your um, your financials. What is it called? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it's not important. Um, they had like a, an allowance for health. So like each employee had like $200 to spend, you know, in their like flexible, you know, savings account or something given to them by the company that they could use on specifically health and wellness. And so, I mean, it was her cash and she was just giving it to me. I didn't necessarily like accept right. that. But yeah. people do have that option and you can say that um, because some people forget that they have that because it doesn't really matter to you as the NTP, I mean, or the nutritionist or whatever. I mean, you're just accepting their cash, but they can pull it from some type of account that might be available for health and wellness services via their company or insurance. Right. But I think if it's something that's really important to you to be able to take insurance independently, then you would have to go the route of becoming a nutritionist and and a registered dietitian. cool yeah yeah (laughs) okay you agree yes (laughs) um and actually one more thing on that part of the benefit to working with a practitioner who does not take insurance is that you can have more time with them because part of working under insurance and it might be different with what you do Al but I think no time for time yeah it's based on time So, I mean, part of, I think people feel frustrated maybe working with someone who doesn't take insurance, but you know you're probably going to get more time with that person and you may be able to work with them longer, like for a longer period of time um, and your sessions may be longer. There may be flexibility in the type of support that you can give. I mean, obviously, as you heard Ali explain, it's it's quite structured. Um, So, I don't know. That's just something to think about, like, for anyone listening who would be on, like, the client side of it, that there are pros to it not going through insurance. Um, And, yeah, sometimes when you pay for it yourself, you feel more connected to the process as well. So, I don't know. Silver lining to things. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, because I see people both places. So, like, if you are in San Diego... Sometimes I will just say, hey, it sounds like you might be a better fit to actually see me through the clinic um, because we do want to run labs or I do want you to work with a naturopath. Like, I am not qualified to support you in that way. But then sometimes I would rather, you know, see people as my, like, own individual practice because then I do get to just have more of, like, a free range, (laughs) you know, like, control over the situation and we get tons of time and it's very different. You know, like, I am always checking with, the doctors that I work with to be like, hey, do you think this is a good plan? Um, The other, I mean, tricky thing about being in more of a practice that way is you really do have to get pretty good at knowing, like, interactions between medications. Um, Being able to chart takes a really long time. So, like, half of the time that I'm there, I'm charting, even though maybe I saw someone for 30 minutes. Um, I do see people up to, like, an hour, but I think that's kind of rare even. I mean, the doctors certainly don't spend that much time seeing patients for an hour, but I do see people for that long. And then it takes me like a good, you know, 15 minutes to chart every single time. So there's uh, there's good, you know, things and bad things about it. Um, from my perspective, I really, really enjoy that clinical setting 
but it's not for everybody for sure yeah it's not for me (laughs) (laughs) okay Thank you for that. And thank you guys for listening. If you'd like to submit a question, you can email us at nutritionishpodcast at gmail.com or head on over to our website and click under the submit a question tab. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. It means the world to us. Also be sure to subscribe so that a new episode gets downloaded for you every single week. For more from me, Chelsea, head to nutritionwithchelsea.com and follow me over on Instagram at nutritionwithchelsea. For more from Allie, head to barefootnutrition.com and follow her at barefootnutrition. And we will see you guys next week. Bye.